Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. Um, back again for another great episode today. We've got Derek Myers. Um, I'm really excited to talk to him. Um, the, the episode starts kind of weird. We just kind of dive in. You get some of the preamble that we were talking about beforehand, how I'm doing and different things like that. But um, it, it kind of jumped into um, some of the topics of, we're going to talk about today of neurodiversity um, and some different uh, mental health um, things. Um, and so I figured it went well and, and it would be a good way to, to slide in. And so um, bear with the kind of weird uh, weird start. Um, if you're new here, it, you should, you'll get used to it. <laughs> Um, just before we start I just want to remind you all the Deconstruction Network is a great resource for you we have a brand new research project and I'm so excited about this you know we put out some amazing data last year about people that are deconstructing um, and we've got a new study and it is looking at all kinds of really fascinating things like race education um, income upbringing um how involved and 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 um, plugged into the church you were, and how um, quote unquote strong your faith was before you deconstructed, and and how that might have played into your deconstruction. We're going to look at a whole bunch of really interesting things. Um, and the goal, as most of you know, is we want to change the narrative around deconstruction. You know, most of the narrative is held by some old white guy that's a conservative Christian screaming from the pulpit about how dangerous and how evil deconstruction is, or how deconstruction is great. I did it in my teens, but you got to do with the bible and with jesus at the center or whatever right you know these are the people that um get called when uh you know uh, the the newspaper wanted to do an article on deconstruction and why people were leaving the church they call these um random pastors for their opinion on why people were leaving the church um and the goal of starting this research project through the deconstruction network was that um maybe there might be a source of data actual data points that people can point to going oh this is what uh, deconstructing Christian looks like. This is what they were like before they deconstructed. This is what they're like now. You know, I'm looking at the early data in this and there's so many really exciting things I want to share with you, but the data is so fresh and so new and, and, and it's not developed yet at all. And so I can't really share some of the things that seem to be coming forwards. Um, but we're going to be able to look at things like, well, what happens once people deconstruct? Do they all become atheists? Uh, do any stay Christian? Are they agnostic? Well, how do they identify now? And we'll be able to look at things as how do people identify as time goes on? Is there a particular t- trajectory for people's faith? Maybe some stay Christian, but eventually they'll all pitter out. Or maybe some uh, become atheists, but actually they start to open up to new spirituality. We're going to be able to look at all these different things as time goes on. And of course, what we're going to find is that it's a very diverse and very uh, complex uh, landscape. It's it's full of people that are moving in a certain uh, away from something, but they're all not moving in the same direction um, in, in broad strokes. You know that's just not possible. You can't just say if someone deconstructs, they become an atheist. If someone deconstructs, they become uh, this or they will do this. Um, and and that's what we're wanting to do. We're wanting to get that that crap out of the public eye. You know, like I hate. I don't know about you, but I hate. Um, you know, seeing another article in some sort of newspaper times, you know, or whatever, in New York Post or whatever, and you open up, oh, people are leaving church, what is deconstruction, you know, blah, 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 and you open up and it's like, well, John Piper says, you know, that they just don't believe enough, or, oh, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church has a comment on it, and it's like, these people don't know. They, apart from being terrified of it, they have never really uh, engaged with this topic, um, and so I'm excited. All that to say, we need you. Um, it's really important for this data to be good, to be um, 
complete, um, to be represent representational. Um, we're doing all this data with alongside a research company, IDO Research in the UK. Um, if you need research for your business, your charity, your organization, you know, please consider them. They're doing this for free for us. Uh, and that is uh, extraordinary. This would have cost tens of thousands. Um, and so it's really great that they're working with us on this because as you guys know, I have no money to put into this. Um, and so, yeah, if you do need some research done for your organization, please consider them because, you know, yeah, I would love to be, see them getting paid back for that generosity. Um, but the point of bringing them up is we're doing this properly. We want to do this properly. And, and to do it properly, we need um, as uh, full and uh, complex and uh, diverse a group as possible so we can be representational. So we can look at it and go, oh, this is what people who think, uh, who, who deconstruct, who are transgender, who are black, who are indigenous, um, you know, who are asexual. You know, we want to look across a huge gamut of people and not just have another um, set of data that is like, oh, here's what all the straight white people think. Um, and, and so please get involved. And hey, if you're a straight work person, please get involved. We need your data too. Um, absolutely. But obviously, um, a lot of the deconstruction movement seems, at least I can say seems on the surface, because some of the data coming out of this new study seems to be pointing differently, seems to, to very much skew white straight. Um, and so it would be great to hear from other people as well. If you know people that are deconstructing, please see if they would get involved, ask them to get involved in this project as well. You can get involved at the deconstructionnetwork.com slash research, and it would mean the world to me. It would be such, um, uh, such a joy um, for your data to be in there. It's all multiple choice. We only ask maybe, so far we've done one survey a year. We might ramp up to two surveys a year, hopefully. They take about five to 10 minutes. They're all multiple choice. All your data is um, anonymized, so there's no way that um, you know, you can look at it and go, oh, this is what Bob says. Bob thinks this or this or this. It's completely anonymized. All the, we, we ask people to log in and create a login um, so that we can link the data over time. So we can go, oh, people that answered this in the first survey answered this in the eighth survey. Um, and so what it does is it means we have huge amounts of data to play with and to connect. Um, but all of that is anonymized behind the scenes. So you might log in with your username, Phil Drysdale, um, but then the computer turns that into a code and it's, a one two four question mark Z, um, and that is what's used to link all the data. And so, you know, your data is completely secure. If you're worried about, oh, I don't want people to uh, know how I identify gender, you know, I don't want people to understand and know how much I earn or anything like that. All of that is anonymized. Um, and so, um, please answer these surveys, get stuck into these surveys. It would be a huge, huge deal. Um, and we, we are going to change the, the story about deconstruction. We're going to shift it away from um, the powerful who have no idea what they're talking about to us, the underdog, being able to be represented by clear, simple, cold, hard data. Um, and that's what I want to see. I long for the day where people write articles on this and they go, according to uh, the 2021 study by the Deconstruction Network, X amount of uh, people that deconstruct end up atheists, um, which means that John Piper's talking out of his ass or whatever, right? Maybe that last bit's a bit of my uh, um, my own personal <laughs> desire. Um, but yeah, it would be really great to have you involved. So deconstructionnetwork.com slash research. Um, if you want to support what I'm doing, everything I do is for free. 
um, the deconstruction network, the um, the posts that I do. I talk with people for hours a day, every day. Um, I do all of that for free because we've all been burned by some um, rich, powerful person constantly asking us for money and guilting us into giving 10% of our incomes and all of that. So I, I never ask for money. Um, I never require money from anyone. Um, but if you want to support what I'm doing, you can do that through Patreon. Um, or my website, you can do it at patreon.com slash or phildrysell.com slash partner. Um, it's not much I can give you because again, I do everything for free. I'm always here to chat. I'm always here to help regardless of if you are able to support what I'm doing. But if you do support what I'm doing, there is an online community you can be a part of on Discord and we do monthly uh, Zoom calls as well, which would be great to have you in. Um, so yeah, you can do that at patreon.com slash or phildrysell.com slash partner. Okay, I know that was a really long preamble, but I wanted to let you know about the new research project. Um, again, please do consider getting involved with that. Um, but let's dive into the conversation with Derek. I'm excited to talk to Derek. This is going to be really interesting. Um, we're going to talk about uh, religious scrupulosity, um, religious OCD, that is. Um, and, and so it's going to be really fascinating. And, and I hope it's helpful to uh, many of you. I'm sure many of you have come across people that may tick a lot of the boxes for um for this and, and may want to try and reach out and help them or at least understand them better. And so hopefully this episode helps with that. All right, so enough for me. Let's dive in to the conversation with Derek Myers. How's your day going? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't even know. I, I feel like I'm having a real year, <laughs> not even a day, yeah. like the whole year. So yeah, I've, I've kind of like snapped a couple of times. Today. We've got a little puppy and I'm, I feel like right now I live on the edge of a breakdown at all points. And mm. so the tiniest thing is enough, you know? So Dude, I, I so relate to that. I stand anything. And like, so I'm honestly like this far away from like finding out we have ran out of milk. And I need to go to the store. I'm just going to lie on the floor and cry. That kind of, yeah. that's how I feel 24 seven for like the last couple of months. And it's exhausting. Dude, so, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, yeah, I appreciate you even being like that transparent. Like I feel that on a deep level. So uh, we have a puppy as well. Not quite okay. as young as yours, but I mean, even last night I, I lost my shit because I go downstairs after leaving him alone for a bit and he's potty trained. And uh, lo and behold, he left a present in our kitchen. Yeah. Like, Are you kidding me? So, yep. <laughs> All those two steps forward, one step back as well. And yeah, all that. And then it's fireworks night tonight. So that's a big thing in the UK, Guy Fox night. We celebrate the time oh. the guy didn't manage to overthrow the government, um, <laughs> but tried. I don't know how it works, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm cheering for Guy. Um, let's overthrow the government. I feel like we need another one. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's going to be crazy with our dog. I mean, like basically 4th July or whatever, you know, like tiny puppy right. doesn't understand lots of explosions going on everywhere. So I'm braced for a day. So I'm excited for this because it's like a nice like escape from my real world that is just a lot right now. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I get to just hang out and have a laugh. My wife is looking after the dog. I'm like, I'm here. I am 100% here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm stoked. How's uh, how's everything been going with your health stuff? I know that you know that was a challenge for a bit, and uh, yeah, it's doctors it's were I'm sure kind of still all there. They think maybe. Well, I don't know. I think it's linked to some trauma stuff that I'm trying to start to unpack and trying to figure out, and that's probably a big part of the overwhelm. It kind of all feels like this one big package. Like I've kind of really burned out, but they they've got me referred to um 
uh, an ADHD specialist. They think I've got ADHD. Oh, dude, um, I, I actually do too. So we can okay. chat about that at, you know, whenever. I mean, that's huge for me. Like just understanding that more, looking at different accounts. I'd actually noticed when I, because I didn't follow you. I followed the your favorite heritage, but I didn't follow you. I, I went to follow you. Like we're all following the same like ADHD yes. <laughs> uh, Instagrams. But following those accounts and going, oh God. Yes. Uh, this is me. Holy shit. Holy um, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so just understand that and understanding the components of like burning out and overwhelm and different things and how that plays in with that aspect. I'm like, yes. oh, this is why I was like this all the way through school. Oh, this is like why I was like this in my first marriage. Oh, this is why I'm like this right now. Like just starting to understand and not to like just lay blame so I can ignore it, but to be going, oh, I need to kind of figure out how to navigate that. But now there's potentially tools there and resources if that's something that I can uh, engage with. It might make my life a bit easier. So there's different things, trauma, ADHD, you know, whatever. I'm slightly autistic as well. So there's all sorts of different components that all stack against me not doing well when I get overwhelmed, when things don't go my way. Absolutely. Loads oh my gosh. Stuff. So yeah. So yeah, no, I totally, I mean, and even you sharing that now, like I, I mean, there's even a deeper, deeper level of empathy because uh, being neurodivergent, like, um, it, 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 it's hard for people who are neurotypical to understand some of the overwhelmed, like being the overstimulated feeling, right. The, yes, uh, yes. like, you know, there's loud noise going on over here and someone's talking to you and then you've got something going on and train of thought running through your brain and someone's trying to call you. And then it's like this perfect storm of stimulation. And it's like, ah, and then it just takes one little thing to just boom. And the response on the surface is like, whoa, this is disproportionate to whatever you're upset about. And then in reality, it's like, oh my gosh, actually, no, like, but you don't understand, like, this is all that's going on on the inside that you don't under, like, and for me, I mean, that's been so hard and honestly really challenging, like the emotional dysregulation. Um, a big one that has been eye opening for me as well is like, um, you know, uh, just rejection dysphoria, is another big one. Like just any sort of hint of rejection can send me like in a, in a place downward to where I feel really like really, really deeply sad and hurt. And, um, I, I mean, it's, it's a combination of, uh, ADHD and also trauma, like you were talking about. And then I think too, man, like for one of the hardest struggles on a consistent basis is like the whole forgetfulness piece. Like just so much shame around that. Like man, like I, I could, you know, write it down or it could be in my calendar or I can talk to whatever, or, you know, it could even be minutes that go by and mm -hmm. like, I forget. And, um, you know, the whole concept of time typically with neurodivergent people, it's like, it's, it's either now or not now. Like there's just right. no concept of, and, and like, 100%. and for me, it, it's, all I am is in the moment. And so that can be good, but it can also be like really bad. Right. Um, yeah you know, oh man, I forgot that I, you know, left my coffee in the microwave or I, you know, it could be little things, but then it can be bigger things, obviously. So yeah, I can really relate to what you're my, saying. My wife was like, I've been sending her nonstop, like different, like clips of videos or reels or like little, like, you know, infographics or whatever. And she's like dying with laughter. She's like, this is you. But um, my favorite bit out of all of it so far. So the way we do like our healthcare stuff here is a bit of a mess right now. Cause it's, it is great. It's all free. It's wonderful, but it's quite slow because our government's slowly trying to sell off our our whole healthcare system and privatize it, which is a pain in the ass. So oh, everything's wow. much slower. It's much more underfunded and all that different stuff. Um, 
so I'm on this huge wait list and things like that for ADHD checking and stuff like that. But it was funny because I had to fill in some forms and then it was like the questionnaire they have for ADHD. Um, and, you know, like you, you look through the questions and you're like, oh my God, this is hilarious. But one of them is, and you'll notice is like, um, you easily forget things, especially right. things that are important, but not massive hits of dopamine to you, right? So not particularly uh, interesting or whatever. Um, and I, I gave that into my GP and blah, blah, blah. My GP calls me the next day and goes, hey, Phil, you forgot to sign the form. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess we can we can underline the very often kind of, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> of forgetting important things. You know, I'm just like, I forgot to sign the form of the questionnaire. Do I have ADHD? Like, yeah, that's it. That's it. I, it was like, I'm not reading every single word to find out oh here i'm supposed to i mean that was a pretty obvious one you should have seen but that uh, was the extra credit just, question that uh <laughs> yeah i got 19 out of 18 uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> oh, oh it's crazy isn't it which is why i know for me in school and and i don't know if you related to this but like it, it still happens to stay with certain things as well but like sometimes i see like instructions and my mind just like shuts down and so i'll like skim over it and feel like I understood it, but then realize I like I really didn't read the instructions very well. Or so that's me today. That's kind of, Not even in school. That's like right now. I still do. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> drives my wife insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as the, the IKEA bookcase is like completely yes. upside down and back to front or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that stresses me out for sure. <laughs> so all this like. Um, you know, you've got a fair few different um, components going on as far as neurodivergency um, and, and then components of like mental health um, stuff as well. Like, was that something that you were aware of before you started to kind of to start deconstructing your faith and exploring beyond kind of bands of conventionality? So I'm just kind of like seamlessly going. In. I don't even know what will keep. Yeah, that, but <laughs> no, no, it's, and, it's, it's it's all good. Um, I think for me, I um, well. Specifically with OCD, um, I didn't really have language for it until like two or three years ago. Like, mm. like kind of, I mean, I feel like that's how a lot of people deconstruct too. It's like, oh, I've been going through this and I didn't realize that this was a thing, you know, that that's kind of how it was with some of the diagnoses that I had, um, you know, and, and ADHD actually came first um, about four or five years ago. And, um, at the time it was like, okay, this is, this makes sense. But then I kind of shelved it because I, I didn't take the time to really research it and understand mm -hmm. it. And, um, then time went on. And then, uh, a lot of the symptomology around my OCD and what I was experiencing was becoming very loud, if you will, like it was affecting, you know, things with the dynamic between Rachel and me, it was affecting um, yeah, just my overall, overall mental health. And, uh, I think it was at that point, I, you know, Rachel came to me and she's like, have you thought about maybe this isn't just general anxiety, which is what I was told and that it could be actually OCD. Mm -hmm. And as soon as, as soon as she said that it was like kind of a light bulb moment. And I started to, to dig into some stuff and that was just really eye opening to me. And then from there, slowly it was finding sources of being educated around ADHD and neurodivergence. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that the more I understood how I'm wired and how my brain works and, um, 
you know, even, even just some of the ways that trauma has affected those things and it exacerbated some of those symptoms, like it, it's, it's helped me to understand that a lot of my experience isn't just circumstantial, but that there's mm-hmm. a lot more going on that it gives clarity, right? It gives um, a greater understanding. Oh, this is what I do. This is the reason, you know, why I'm doing the things that I do. And this is why I forget things. This is why, you know, um, I'm having themed intrusive thoughts causing anxiety that I can't just shake off. Like, um, I feel the need to solve them, which is called rumination. Um, you know, you're, you're solving an, like an unsolvable, like puzzle, if you will, or an unsolvable problem. And so what's really interesting is what OCD says is that um, you know, specifically around any sort of intrusive thoughts, there's usually a theme involved, you know, for some people it's health anxiety, which I've dealt with. Some people can be contamination. It could be relationship OCD, which is what I've dealt with as well. Uh, religious OCD, scrupulosity, which is what I've also dealt with, uh, and, and harm OCD. I mean, there's, there's a whole mm. list of different forms of it. Um, but it's usually centered around a theme and it's really interesting and kind of sick and twisted of the brain, unfortunately, but it attacks what's most important to you. Mm. What's most valuable, valuable to you. It'll attack your value system. And so one of the things that you learn, you know, and what's called ERP exposure response prevention, which is the most effective form of treatment for OCD is that, um, you learn to uh, be okay with uncertainty. You learn to accept that you can't have control over things that are out of your control. Like for me, there's times where I'm really scared of getting cancer and dying. Um, You know, it could be like, oh, I've got this ache and pain. Well, maybe it's, you know, maybe I've got brain cancer. Like just, I mean, it's not like, oh, I just have a headache. You know what I mean? Right. And I will feel the need to try to solve this in my head. Like, oh, I didn't drink enough water or maybe because I didn't sleep well enough or this, that, and the other. And I'm running through this rumination in my head, trying to solve and reassure myself that I'm okay. Yeah. But what's interesting is when you do that, all you're doing is reinforcing your fears. And that's the twisted thing about ruminating is that you think you're solving the problem. It's called the compulsion as well. Um, so that's where obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's, I don't think it's the most appropriate (laughs) descriptor of a condition. Um, however, the, the O and OCD, right. Is, is these, the themed intrusive thoughts, you have no control over it. They just, you know, for whatever reason, it's like, oh, I'm imagining that I'm going to take this knife over here and just go and and harm myself. Well, I have no desire to do that, but I'm really scared that if I touch the knife, I'm just going to end up harming myself or harming someone else. Some people really struggle with that. And, you know, the more and more I understand the, um, the ways that OCD affects us uh, for those who suffer with it is that, you know, we really just want that sense of security and certainty, but unfortunately life doesn't promise that. And I think that Mm -hmm. kind of fits in with deconstruction. So in some ways, the more and more I'm learning to accept the uncertainty, 
um, that does carry over into different areas of deconstruction. And I know, you know, I have harder times, harder weeks, harder months, but um, yeah, I'm kind of rambling now. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic. No, it's really good. And, and you know, this is exactly what we want to talk about. This is, you know, I could talk to you about 110 different things. I mean, you guys post amazing stuff um, constantly. Um, but this is an area that like, I don't get the opportunity to talk to many people about. Um, and I think it's actually, it's probably hugely undiagnosed. It's probably hugely misunderstood within the church. And it's an interesting dynamic though. You know, you talk about that search for certainty and security. And for a lot of people, religion gives them that. It, it right. does, you know, it, it ticks those boxes. Um, and yet for some people that um, have OCD and and, and um, see it inflamed, they, they, they don't see religion... Uh, cure their desire for certainty and security they actually see it inflame uh uncertainty you know we, we have a friend who uh, certainly wouldn't call themselves someone that had a form of religious ocd scrupulosity or anything like that. they are deeply in the system they are getting digger they dig deeper and deeper and deeper every day you know the way out of this hole is with this spade and that is how they operate wow. and it's, it's really hard to see like you know they they starve themselves through fasts they, they, they come close to dying uh you know i mean really horrendous stuff the way they look after themselves is really awful they don't look after themselves they're not worth it you know there's almost this like um self-flagellation flogging yourself yeah. like, i mean really really horrible things to see friends go through and yet to talk to them and go hey maybe you have some of this that would be a demonic attack you know that's that's just the, the devil trying to lie so i'm less committed so i'm less serious and and so you know, for some people, um, while religion ticks the boxes of bringing some security and comfort, and that's a beautiful and wonderful thing, and I think um, we all deserve some, some form of uh, comfort and security in our lives. Um, for, for other people, and, and it seems often people with um, OCD that, that does uh, bend towards religion, it, it focuses on those things we're most passionate about and most, the most important in our life. And honestly, if we think that this is the way we're going to go to heaven and not go to hell, that's a pretty important one, right? I mean, it's not unlikely Absolutely. that that's going to be an important thing for us. Like, yeah. talk to me about that dynamic. How, how does that yeah. play out? You know, I, I'll give an example of me looking on a, on a friend that I care about, but I can't really do anything for. And honestly, would only make it worse trying to introduce this kind of concept, perhaps. You know, like, mm. what, did, what did that look like um, for you? Uh, within religion before you kind of maybe deconstructed you know before, yeah. before you had language for this stuff like absolutely what can it look like so for me um <clears throat> i went through some of the darkest times uh emotionally mentally um i i think i was on the brink of losing my like losing sanity um and i don't say that lightly um and it was really hard to experience because what I needed. Oh, you good. Oh, I look, looks like my computer froze. Um, can you hear and see me? Okay. I can hear and see you. You're great. Okay. Oh, I'll man. let you know if it does or anything, but you seem fine. A little bit. <laughs> I I'm like looking at a frozen, my, my, uh, my zoom did this the other day. So I don't, I don't know why it's choosing to do so at this time. <laughs> Gotta love it. So um, so anyway, I guess what I was trying to say is that during that time, I, what I really needed was someone to be honest with me and say, Hey, um, I think you need to see, you know, a, a professional, um, mm. you need to see some, like a trained therapist who can 
really help you uh, with this. But instead, and a lot of what happens in the church, the responsibility falls on the individual. God's testing your faith. God's causing you to suffer so that you can um, learn to lean on him and depend on him more, right? All those Mm -hmm. just really harmful things that people say, oh, it's spiritual attack, right? And I had someone who said, well, God must have a big calling on your life because, you know, this is the devil clearly trying to just, uh, you know, take you out or something like that, something along those lines. So it's this weird feeling where you're like, oh, this is almost, you almost like develop this strange sort of like fetish for, for pain and suffering. And almost think it's like a, a badge of honor to, to go through horrific trauma. Like it was a traumatic few years, a uh, couple years, I should say. Um, God, I, I remember like, I, I'm in several moments of just breaking down to my friends in tears. I remember collapsing into my dad's arms at 20, 20, 21. Um, and just being like, I don't want to live. And I've, I like my dad was, my dad's not a crier or emotional, very feely person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's compassionate and loving, but not, not like in that way, I guess, but he started to cry and like held me and it was, but like the level of hopelessness and despair I felt in those, those moments through suffering with an undiagnosed mental health condition it was bad. I mean, I went through, I, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but like steps to freedom mm. um, multiple times. And the premise of it, it's like a deliverance ministry uh, curriculum. So you like fill out all these questions. Who do you need to forgive in your past? Think back to elementary school when you had a school bully who hurt you. You need to forgive them, write their name down. And there may be a stronghold in your past and an entryway for the enemy. And it's like, what? <laughs> Like right, all these right. things that are so exhausting and so harmful. And I remember like, and then they take you through all these things and you're like reciting these prayers and renouncing stuff and like taking authority over shit. And it's, it, it's, it's this shadow boxing yeah. in order to do something that, you know, you're trying to, and then at the end they, they look in my eyes and they try to call to attention any demonic spirits. I mean, this is like, like intense stuff. I didn't need someone to try to cast a demon out of me. I needed someone to lovingly hold and care for me and say, you know what? I think the most Christ-like thing I can do right now is to say, Hey, there are people who are trained in this area that I think would benefit you so, so much. That would have saved me. Honestly, Phil, it would have saved me so much, so much time suffering and hurting. Uh I should have been on antidepressants at that point. I I, I should have, I should have like been in a completely different um, treatment plan. But I remember being in those moments where not just, I like, I, I feeling like internally tormented because I was convinced that because I didn't muster up enough faith and I wasn't sure that I was sure that I was sure that I believed and trusted in Jesus, that he was going to come back during that time. I was going through this. Mm. 
and he was going to like condemn me to hell. I had this warped vision that as I'm suffering, God would want to double down. And because I didn't have it together and I didn't muster up enough faith with my own willpower that I was going to be condemned to hell. And I mean, talk about psychological warfare, like just absolute. I mean, I was living in a form of eternal torment, if you will, on earth. Like it was horrible. Um, Every day felt like it was gloomy and dark and cloudy. Um, I, I felt like I didn't know how to be present in a moment and situations. I was constantly searching from, you know, I was in Bible college at the time too. I was like begging my professors for reassurance mm. that I was saved, that, you know, I wasn't just going to fall away or whatever. <laughs> I, yeah. And it just, the, the, the biggest thing that, again, I know I keep going back to is that had someone just had the, the foresight as a pastor or a friend, you know, to say, Hey, this is where my role stops and where I need to refer you to someone who can best love you and take care of you. But I mean, unfortunately that it happens a lot and not always from wrong intentions necessarily, but I think the church tries to play hero and savior. um, And that there's something, you know, Uh, Like you have a lack of faith or a lack of genuine spirituality. If you um, admit that you need to have a therapist, yeah, (laughs) or that you need to, um, you know, have medication. Um, So anyway, that that period of my life was outrageously challenging. And had I had I known as well that it was OCD, would have been. Very interesting. I had some language for scrupulosity, but the most that I saw was that it was a very small window of people in like the Catholic church that would just Mm. repeatedly go back to um, like confession over and over and over. Sure. And, and I dealt with that a lot too. Like, even Mm -hmm. as I was dealing with these doubts, right. I thought it was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm having my doubts. Um, I was hunting and searching for every trace of, of sin so that I could make sure that God would approve of me and be proud of me and pleased with me and just like ceaselessly praying and confessing and, and repenting. Mm -hmm. And I just never had a moment of rest or respite. Like I was, spiritually emotionally exhausted and um yeah it made me burn out in bible college too um i never finished because of that yeah um i i just was so burnt out and being in that environment that was a very legalistic school was suffocating 
to me. Um, so anyway, all that to be said, um, a lot of the big things that, you know, I was searching for was obviously this existential certainty. Like I was going to have security that I was saved, that I wasn't going to be rejected by God to an eternity of torment, like all these dark and horrible things. And I think what began to change for me is when I accepted uncertainty. And I think that that was, that continues to be a big, um, answer to a lot of my struggle with OCD, uh, when it flares up is, and and this is a lot of what my therapist has, has walked me through. Um, when I was in therapy for a good six months, really kind of like in, in boot camp, if you will, just like this intensive week in week out, um, exposure response prevention. Um, she really helped me to come up with different mantras of, you know, exposing myself to these, these different fears that I had mm. and learning to accept the uncertainty, right? I, I could get cancer. I don't know. I can't know for sure. I can tolerate the uncertainty and, and there's far more things that, that, uh, OCD accepts, um, that, you know, I, I'm not afraid of, like, there's a high risk that getting in my car and driving sure, somewhere sure. I can hit by a car and die. Right. But I'm not afraid to get in my car. It's because OCD attacks our value system. And mm. so, you know, during that period, for whatever reason, it was attacking, you know, things surrounding spirituality and faith. I wanted to know that I know that I knew that I know that God loved and accepted me and wasn't going to abandon me. Um, yeah. And uh, which isn't a bad thing to desire, right? I think everyone who has some form of faith would want sure. that sense of security that they're you know, um, loved and accepted by God. And, 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 uh, anyway, so what I'm trying to say is that different periods of my life have presented these different themes that OCD is latched onto. Sure. And, uh, it's funny that it doesn't attack things that you you don't care about. (laughs) So the whole point behind it is like, I'm, I'm okay with the uncertainty that OCD doesn't care about, but I can learn to accept the uncertainty that OCD may care about. Mm. And, um, you know, I wish I could say that I, I have great days yeah. and, you know, all the time, <laughs> I don't, but, um, I will say that over the years, I, I have come a, a long way in understanding the way my brain works and recognizing different ways, um, that intrusive thoughts come in and, and compulsions arise to where I, I want to you know, essentially you're trying to mitigate and remove the anxiety surrounding the intrusive thoughts, you know, by performing these compulsions when in reality, all you're doing is essentially telling your body that this false alarm bell that's going off is actually a real one. So that's why I said earlier, it only reinforces your fears. Yeah. A very twisted thing. But anyway, that's kind of a gist of what it was doing. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like a very, um, the, the, the problem that I that jumps out at me immediately, right, is um, that if one of the greatest ways that you can kind of um, engage with this constant uh, need to be certain you're saved, you're this, you're that, whatever it might be, is to start to embrace a bit of uncertainty, start to open up and go, well, look, I, I, maybe I don't know. 
but you know what it's much more likely that happens or you know like you just start to engage with that the problem is when you are doing this within the religious context certainly within a conventionally christian context you go to your pastor and say i'm worried i'm not saved and like wow here's the things you can do make sure you pray this pray make sure you read your bible right. make sure you pray make sure you and you're like dude trust me i'm doing all these things way more than you trust me right you know what i mean it's like you don't have to give me this list i i've, I've and... scored a 99.9 on this list and everyone else is getting like 70s like trust <laughs> me i'm doing good but that 0.01 is leaving me uncertain and and the problem is that um, there isn't in conventional Christianity space for uncertainty. The pastor isn't going to go, right. well, look, here's the deal, Derek. Honestly, none of us know or say, none of us even know that guy out there in the skies exists. I mean, what the fuck? I don't even know Jesus exists. You know, like, what do we know? Like, you know, like, if we're really going to start tearing apart some uncertainty, like the pastor's never going to do that. The pastor's right. never going to go, look, Derek, you can't understand, you can't know that you're saved. You can't know that you've ticked all the boxes. And, and really, none of us could tick the boxes. What we could actually go back and forgive every single person that spoke to us in high school, every single thing that happened to you when you were five. You could, right. you know, come to terms with everything. That, what about the times you don't remember? You know, like the, the pastor isn't going to do that, right? The pastor isn't going to go there most of the time. He's going to go, right. well, you know, you just need to pray. You need to, yeah, you know, why don't you do some church counseling, right? So you go to the <laughs> yeah. steps of freedom and whatever crazy yeah. stuff that like, you know, um, someone with the best intentions in the world, nine times out of 10, probably way more than that, um, that genuinely thinks this is how we help people find freedom and find health. And maybe it works for a few people. I have no idea. Uh, it must work for someone at some point. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's the worst thing. It's, it's the exact opposite of, of what happens. And it does seem that it, creates this downward spiral and um, yeah. you know you, you you're trying to tick the christian boxes and you're left with this little niggling doubt of going that's not enough and that niggling doubt is huge it's not right. it's little right so it's like what we were talking about earlier right you're having a complete meltdown and everyone's like dude it's just your phone ringing and it's like no it's not just my phone ringing it's my phone ringing and this is happening and that's happening and i can't even think straight and i gotta think about this next wednesday and i'm worried about this and i'm worried about that and and the phone ringing has just set me over the edge. It's the right. same deal as like this little thing that uh, is just a tiny little doubt. We all have tiny little doubts. It's like, no, this is like center, main stage, all I can concentrate on. It doesn't matter that I'm scoring a 99.9 on the test. I need 100. Like, right. It just, uh, yeah, it, it feels like um, a lot of systemic conventional Christianity is built from the ground up around the belief that we have the absolute belief that we are absolutely forgiven with we've absolutely right the right box that we're in that we're not out and it draws these lines right there's in and out there's no like oh we're all kind of somewhere on a, some sort of spectrum of figuring out what the fuck's going on like so if there's an in and an out then all we can do is obsess about am i in or out then like have i done enough like it, exactly it, it, the whole system seems completely um incapable and 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 like you said you know like it's not that anyone most people have the best intentions like pastors though haven't been trained generally speaking they've maybe done like a two-week course in bible college on counseling or something like that you know like yeah, maybe they did like one that. term on counseling and and even right. then, what that was often was like oh you sit and you listen to them and you pray with them at the end or it's not like you know okay let's sit down and let's look at some different issues that people might have going on let's look at some neurotypical components and how that plays with faith let's look at what i literally had in bible college someone like the professor in a uh intro to discipleship counseling um say to me and the class that the dsm was essentially like completely invalid like 
any sort <sighs> of like uh, psychology is just BS and it's all sin issues. It's all, it's all just a lack of believing the gospel. That's the kind of fucking bullshit I had to deal with. I, I bet you had a good week that week, right? <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I remember one class, Phil, I, I had to walk out because I actually felt like I was being choked. I was so riddled with anxiety yeah. that I, 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 it felt like I couldn't breathe. Like that's how like dark some of the shit that they were saying that just was so inconsistent with reality. Right. <laughs> and I think one of the hardest things too, for me was, um, you know, going back to what you were saying about even having pastors model, like the uncertainty, the vulnerability, right. Everybody feels like they need to put on this face mm. that they've, they've got a pristine, untouchable faith. I think one of the beauties of deconstruction is we're all just being like, fuck, wh what do we have to prove to anyone? We like, let's be honest for a second that you know, this isn't so dualistic and plain and simple. The Bible doesn't clearly say like all these things that we've been given as constructed system of certainty. That's like so nice, neat and tidy. After a while, if you really, really take it seriously, it doesn't like, doesn't all work in reality. Like mm. that's not to say all Christian practice. I, I still consider myself a Christian, um, it, even though really hate the term <laughs> um that's not to say all facets and practices of christian faith is wrong but the, the whole like neat tidy box of you know absolutes that it's all black and white it's so clear it's so matter of fact it just does not work when you actually try to live it out fully Mm. And that's the thing, especially with someone who deals with OCD, makes me feel alone because yes, here I am doing everything. Like I would, I would be going and sharing the gospel with people and, you know, praying for people and all these things, like doing all the things, right? Like even like the, the above beyond extra credit things that a lot of people wouldn't do. And here I am suffering more than i can even begin to articulate yeah and largely it had to do with because i looked around me and everybody else seemed like it's good i'm good yeah, yeah no so you mean i'm the only one you know even ocd aside i'm the only one who's plagued with some of these things and to me it's like either are, are we being fully honest or it's like how much cognitive dissonance do we have to practice to maintain the sense that, you know, Oh no, everything's fine. Everything's good. No, there's there. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I, I just, absolutely. Yeah. It's, so. it's such a tough one because, you know, I, I think of, and I've known like maybe two or three people that um, I would have from an external point of view go, maybe they've got some of this going on. 
um, and I'm thinking as a different person now, but this other person, I mean, like they, they've left their jobs so they can be more committed and pray more and fast more and whatever. And, and they, you know, like they had homeless people come and stay with them in their house because, well, Jesus would expect that. Like, how on earth could I have a spare room in my house and not have it full of homeless people? And, you know, they get themselves into really dangerous situations. And of course, I'm not saying having a homeless person sleep in your house is dangerous, not at all. Like, you know, but out in the streets doing all sorts of things like you know giving every penny to every person you know they're gonna you know end up on the streets themselves you know like, there's just there's never enough there's this constant constant thing right. and what's funny is you talk never to them enough. and they think you are the greatest christian that ever existed and i'm like trust me compared to you i feel like shit like that's how yeah. i felt most of my life look around a couple of people that i've known quite closely that like, i'm like dude you make me feel like a terrible christian that's how i feel right and they are like no you are so ah oh, man i wish i had your faith i wish i could you know and, and there's some picture they have of me that trust me i have no idea what the fuck they're using to draw that picture because it's not me but they beat themselves up and i'm like dude do you have any idea how much if we're doing some sort of pissing contest like i am drowning in your piss like it's everywhere like you win like do you know what i mean but there's no capacity um and and i think it's it's such a hard thing I, you know i think of people that are in that because you know it's really awesome that in some way shape or form um you managed to come to terms with oh this is a component that's a play you started to be able to work through that it, you know it's, it's dovetailed well with deconstructing and, and you've been able to um still hold on to your faith and that's beautiful for you that that works for you you know in the midst of all that it's not being a sort of thing of like i have to burn this whole shit down because i can't even touch it like that's amazing that you know you've managed to navigate this in so many ways that i from an external point of view go wow that's really gone very well <laughs> compared, compared to how if i was just imagine how it could go it seems like it could have got a lot worse um but i i think of the people i know that are in the midst of this and they're still in the midst of conventional christianity and um you know you mentioned you know someone could have pulled you aside and go look here's the deal or whatever and um i i just don't know how one approaches someone in that space in a way that doesn't you know you're just going to be one of job's friends you know, you're just oh, another person yeah. testing me. You're, 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 you know, you're just a thorn in my side. You're sent by Satan. You're tickling my ears, you're, whatever, right? Or, you know, you're just trying to water down my faith. You want me to go to therapy rather than speaking to the pastor about it, you know, or uh, like there's so many obstacles to um, get through that. Well, what would you say it was for you that managed to kind of like, become a tipping point where you could see it you could hear it you could uh engage with it like because to me i i feel that most people i've come across that's not something that's going to be an easy um you know thing to get through a barrier or whatever like that's just not going to swing wide open for most people it doesn't feel um so what was it for you that that was it situational was it the people involved you know i I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty forgiving person, I guess, or a pretty uh, easygoing person. I, I don't know how to, to fully articulate it, but um, I, I try to find the bright side and, and the, um, the good in situations. So I think even through that, like, and at that time, I mean, I was so ensconced in that sort of worldview of, of certainty and binaries and, very evangelical um 
that I, I thought that that was the antidote, how people were approaching me. Well, you know, doubt your doubts and, and just, you know, uh, really just stand on the word and, and all these unhelpful spiritual bypassing statements that, that inevitably happens when you're, you've been in the church for some period of time. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I had some really great friends who were with me through it, but they didn't, I, I you know, and, and it's not on them, but like, they didn't know how to be there for me fully. And yeah. I understand that. I mean, they weren't given the tools to, to know how to understand someone who's dealing with an undiagnosed mental health condition. Right. Um, and in fact, I, I don't know if you've heard this, but um, there's some study that was done and OCD is one of the hardest um, disorders to live with. Even like it's, it's up there with some physical conditions too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it just, there's a lot of, another thing that's unhelpful is, is how pop culture portrays OCD, right? And, and other conditions as well with mental health, just the stigma surrounding it. When you hear OCD typically in pop culture, what do you, what do you hear, Phil? I mean, you know, everyone's like, oh, I'm a little bit OCD or, you right. know, like it's like, they, oh, yeah, I can. I worry if I check the oven, I check it off three times or, you know, and yeah, it's the same thing. Right. Like, oh, everyone can be a bit ADHD or, you know, we, we all throw around these terms as kind of like a, a blanket. Oh, obsessive compulsive. I just like I, I'm a bit um, a bit clean, a bit more clean than right. most people or a bit bit more, you know, compulsive about remembering things or. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 So it's, yeah, exactly that. It's, oh, everybody's a little bit OCD or, oh, I'm just so OCD about not needing to have everything organized and in order and clean, you know? So the, there's these stigmas. And what that does is it reduces people's understanding of the complexity that is a very real disorder. Um, and uh, same with ADHD, same with, you know, other forms of of uh, neurodiver uh, neurodiversity and and other forms of uh, just mental health conditions in general. I mean, <laughs> the fact of the matter is that when people think they have an understanding of it, you know, it it they just check it off like, oh yeah, OCD. It's it's the issue with needing things to be clean. You're afraid of germs or something. Mm. Not quite. <laughs> um, so it's it. Why I bring that up is that that affects people who are in faith spaces and non-faith spaces, right? Yeah. Um, and the way that it affected me, obviously, was that I wasn't given the proper um, direction or encouragement to go, you know, just like, hey, if I broke my leg and I was walking around with a, with a broken leg and constant pain, ah, oh my gosh, people wouldn't be like, oh, um, well, maybe some people would be, uh, oh, you should just pray about it. No, you should fucking go to the doctor and get an x-ray because <laughs> you probably broke your leg. Um, yeah. Yet we've, we've in some ways created this, this hierarchy of, uh, you know, importance when it comes to health. And mm. I think, you know, we're starting to see a shift slowly happen where mental health is starting to, to rise to the same level in, of importance as physical health mm. because it's all connected anyway. Um. But like, yeah, you would tell your friend, dude, you broke your leg, go to the doctor, get right. taken care of. And I, I, I hope that as all of us begin to just culturally gain a better 
uh, sense of awareness and education and access to information that we would be able to have that same level of support for those in our mm-hmm. lives that, you know, the things that they're going through probably aren't so random. If you're seeing the same thing come up consistently, you know, wh- why not? Why not go to, to see a therapist? I mean, mm-hmm. it, no matter where you're, are, you're at in particular mental health cycles or where you feel you may be um, in life, I mean, therapy is just generally beneficial. I right. mean, people go to get physicals regularly just as a way of having, you know, consistent staying on top of your health. You go to the dentist regularly you know, to make sure that you're, you don't get cavities. I mean, all these things, right. It's maintenance. And, you know, especially for people who are actually suffering, you know, to, to not present to them a, a, a credible means of, of finding healing and comfort, mm. you know, it's just, it's a, it's kind of negligent, but at the same time, I don't want to make it seem like, Oh, people, because they're ignorant to it, it's, it's their fault, you know? No, of course. So, And it's hard because a lot of people that grew up within churches are actively pushed away from educating themselves around the topics of mental health and things like that because, you know, those are, oh, those are just demonic or those are just, you know, the worldly things. We focus on spiritual, everything's spiritual, everything's a sin, everything's a demon, everything, you know, (laughs) and and so, you know, you can't fault um, Barbara in the prayer ministry for when you go to her for prayer and say, hey, I'm worried about this and I'm really like, you know, I'm extremely obsessive and compulsive about am i saved or not and she'll like, well let's pray about it that's her go-to tool that's everything she knows right. and she'll go and maybe it's a demon because i've been told that that's often a demon she's not going to go ah oh, interesting i was just reading an article on ocd and how it can right. affect people religion you know and so yeah. it, it, it's never to beat people up but i think you know we all especially maybe um you know people listen to this are maybe slightly on the outside or um, uh, you know, a, a good portion of people that uh, deconstruct are still Christians, still even involved in local church. Um, you know, as, as you know, as, as, as you're still uh, identify maybe is a little harder with the label, but as Christian. Um, yeah. You know, so a, a lot of us are still in a church and we might be exposed to some people like this. And I think it's really important that maybe us who are a bit more open to being educated are a bit more um, capable of helping in a non-typical way within the church. Um it's important for us to think about how can we how can we help someone like that how can i come alongside that person and and you know try and figure out how do i come in uh in a way that comes maybe under the radar uh you know it doesn't they've got their guard up against some worldly stuff you know tricking them or you know this and so we've got to you know we've got to figure out uh, and be quite um intentional really intentional in fact um and especially not even just to help them but to not trigger it and make it worse which mm. i can imagine a lot of people um can do you know a lot of the christian things that get thrown around and said probably would make it worse oh well derek if you consider it could be a hidden sin in your life yeah okay jesus there goes like two weeks right you know it's just like oh god that's the worst thing ever when you've already covered you know billy who bullied you at six trust me the hidden sins we have covered as many hidden sins as we can find Um, but it's always another thing right there's always something else there's always you know something we can find and pick apart and and I think that's the problem with a lot of these kind of um, confessional modes of salvation and um, and ticking the boxes. Like, 
God, I've just had 20 thoughts in the last five minutes while talking to you. And I guarantee if I was still a Christian, three of them would have been 10 of them, 19 of them would have been something I have to ask for forgiveness for. And it's like, how do you keep up? You know, there's just this endless options of things that we can uh, lose our salvation over or lose our whatever, our right standing with God, or he'll remove his hedge of protection or you know, right. whatever it is. Yeah, that, you know, God's hand and anointing won't be on us as much or you know, you, you're going to not be able to hear God's voice as much or whatever it may be. There's always some consequence. It's always some threat of the hammer coming down. Oh, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. You know what I mean? And it's like the entire worldview is constructed around fear and fear is a horrible, uh, atmosphere for any sort of trust. Mm -hmm. Fear cannot, or trust cannot grow in an environment of fear. And trust for oneself, trust for one's experience, trust for one's, you know, relationships and, and trust to the divine like that, that cannot be fostered in an environment that's, that's uh, predicated upon fear. Like, mm. you know, and like having this eternal torment hang in the balance. I mean, what really started my deconstruction, and I know we've talked about this on, a, you know, our last time together, um, you know how was the beginning of my deconstruction when I became a dad and I looked at my son and thought, wait a minute. Okay. So I'm, I'm an, I'm an earthly dad who looks at his son with so much love. I could never, ever, no matter what he did ever think about like harming him, number one. And number two, uh, think about like eternally harming him. Mm. You know what I mean? And beyond that, like thinking, okay, well, if that's me and I'm more merciful than God, either, either we've got something wrong or like, this is, this is all fucked, right? Like, like something's got it. Something's off. Yeah. Like I can't be more merciful and loving than God. I can't, I can't be more, um, you know, kind and forgiving than God. Like what? If, if God is supposed to be the ultimate, like, like love, right. And, and being that, you know, the Christian confession, it would be that God is love, right. How does that in any way, shape or form resemble in the, in the same breath, a willing torment of people who are God's children. And so that was the beginning of like my questioning and doing. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of removing that big threat of, of hell and fear and all these things began to open my eyes to see love and goodness and hope and reason for trust to, to, to thrive and flourish spiritually for me. And that even if I don't have certainty, which I've learned that I don't need uh, when it comes to my worldview, that that's one, it's not a surprise to, to God. And number two, like, what do I have to prove? Like, I'm not giving this performance to put on a show so that God gives me the, you know, two thumbs up, you know, um, (laughs) so that I make it into the pearly gates. Um, I don't know my, my, I don't mean to get on a tangent, but my whole point was when I started to really do the hard work of 
learning that, okay, eternal conscious torment is bullshit, um, to put it really uh, bluntly. Um, you know, there's so much misunderstanding around hell, especially yeah. around the four words used for it, you know, throughout, you know, the, the Old and New Testament. Um, but as I began to unpack that, it was like letting the air out of the balloon, mm. if you will, and slowly deflating this fear that was just swelling within me for so long. Yeah. This fear of um, like, will I ever be good enough for God? And, um, you know, I think that's what drove, it was like the, the, the gas, the, the petrol in the tank, if you will, um, for, for me to, you know, with, with religious OCD, yeah, that fear of, will I be good enough? Will I be good enough? Am I good enough? Yeah. And that only drove the need for certainty to, to go that much more frenetic. You know, it needed, it just craved it. It, it had to have that certainty and that yeah. sense of, you know, and, um, you know, I think that all of that was kind of the beginning of my deconstruction before I had formal language for it. And, um, you know, it was in that time actually, and I know you and I kind of come from a little bit of a similar background. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but like the whole grace movement, right. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like that's, that's like the gateway drug into. <laughs> that's what they warned. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Yeah. They were warning about it. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, really like rethinking everything around grace was kind of the beginning when I was in my evangelical days. It's like, whoa, like there's so much here. And then that was kind of like the doorway through into this place of rethinking yeah. everything surrounding yeah. faith. Um. So I think ultimately when it comes down to it, if we can't create an environment where we're honest about uncertainty, especially for those who are suffering with things like religious OCD, like I've gone through, um, then we're just going to continue to encourage either people to fake it mm -hmm. or people to feel a lot of shame when they're not quote unquote measuring up to the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I think what all of us are looking for, whether we, you know, don't love this term, but reconstruct or not, is having honesty in our worldview and, and empathy and real love for one another and a, a real openness to mystery and, mm. you know, um, a removal of the, the, uh, dualistic and binary thinking that, you know, creates this, um, or, or, or sorry, removes this, this reality of, of, of uncertainty, right? The, the very real nature that life doesn't exist in, in a set of very clear absolutes, <laughs> despite what evangelicals say about the scriptures and whatnot. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of freedom in that. There's a there's there's something human about us not needing to have things figured out, but that we're together in that. Yes. I think that's what everybody wants. We crave connection and knowing that it's safe to not have the answers and yeah. to not know and to Absolutely. be scared, to be fucking scared of this sometimes very hard existence that we live. 
you know, we all have in one shape or form, some trauma and some pain and various, you know, struggles that we go through, whether it's depression or anxiety or ADHD or OCD or whatever it may be that we were, we're up against. I mean, these are very, very real experiences that people go through oftentimes without knowing it. And it's to their own personal detriment, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, I know, if I, I, you know, I'm sure you can attest, Phil, like, you know, you would hope that you had some language for this stuff surrounding mental health, like years and years ago. Um, but all that to be said, I think one thing that I hope for beyond just the obvious of having more education in the church with, with mental health would just be that we as humans collectively, um, we, we give a lot of grace and understanding for all of us who are just yeah. figuring it out. We're all just fucking figuring this thing out, whether we want to be completely real about it or not. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a much more beautiful world having space to not know for sure. And I think, you know, you have the the benefit of starting your deconstruction with hell. I, I talk to a lot of people. I know you guys talk to a lot of people and you'll have heard the same thing that one of the most common things that people are worried about is being wrong when they deconstruct. And what about hell, right? I mean, th those are the big worries because if you still have hell looming over you, if you're still thinking that God might send you to hell if you are wrong and it's still about being right and not wrong, um, that's really hard to deconstruct, right? It's really hard to start deconstructing on what does God think about um, LGBTQ? Uh, right. Because if you're wrong, you're going to hell. Whereas if you start and go, eh, hell, oh gosh, no one actually knows. Oh, even throughout the church history, right. no one's yeah. ever really said this is the one thing that you're allowed to do. Uh, right. And the entire church agreed with it. No one agreed on hell at any point throughout the entire Christian church. Oh, and the Jews, gosh, they didn't even believe in it, right? You know, up until like really late days, they stole some Zoroastrian stuff from the Babylonians and said, oh, let's make up an idea called hell. Like, yeah. that's really late. And so you start to look at it and you go, oh, well, no point in worrying too much about it then if no one can agree and is actually sure that this is even a thing. Um, the, the benefit of doing that and then starting to question lots of things is, if you're, if you're looking at a, a big spectrum of options and going, well, no one can agree, and you go, yeah, but the one that looks most like Jesus is that it'll be fine, right? You know, so you start worrying, like, I don't see Jesus burning anyone forever in eternity. Like, so that seems like a bad one to hedge all our bets on. So let's yeah. really hedge our bets on Jesus loves people and he'll let people be with him forever. Um, once you start seeing the, it that way, suddenly you're like, oh, so I'm free to actually explore some of these ideas without worrying about consequences. Um, right. And so it's really interesting, you know, that you talk about that. And I think cr creating uncertainty about these, the big issues that kind of, that, that sit above all other choices in our life, every single choice, right? If I come and talk to you as, as a friend of mine that's got, that I think maybe has some religious OCD and I can um, maybe try and help steer you towards therapy or something like that. But you still think that if I have taught you something wrong and you go to therapy and you're going to go to hell for doing it, you're going to be really wary. If you're starting to open up and question and explore hell and like study it or whatever, I think generally speaking, all you need to do is start studying hell and very quickly that thing falls apart. You know, yeah. there's certain things that suddenly you're much more open. You're like, well, I'm not worried about going to hell. I'm not worried about being quote unquote wrong because there isn't a clear right here. Um, right. And God, if he was really obsessed with a right, 
would have given us something to absolutely believe here. But he didn't. Well, and that's the thing that the, the, the mind fuck about it is that a lot of people have been told that there is only one way to think about it. Right. right. Well, the Bible clearly says hell here and the Bible clearly talks about destruction and people don't realize all of the uh, interpretive biases even that go mm. into Bible translation and all of those things that, you know, again, come with taking the time to, to, to study and to learn and, you know, through deconstruction that many people do, but, you know, and that's the thing that's so that, that bothers me so much about just our current framework for the church, right. Is that we, we don't take up like an ecumenical approach in, in mm. teaching things, right. Hey, this is how I come to understand it. Right. Can you imagine this from the pulpit? Hey, this is how I come to understand it. But here are like four other people's views on this. Yes. What do you think? Yes. Can you imagine that? Like, honestly, like, dude, I once I was preaching at my church, the last church I was a part of, and I preached at church a lot and they had a Bible school and I taught there a lot. And generally speaking, I just taught, you know, what we all believed at the church or whatever. And one right. of the last, in fact, I think the last second last time I ever spoke there, and the only reason I got spoke speak again is because it was my wife with me, um, but um, spoke there and, and they asked me to speak about the cross. And I was like, I would love to. And so I sat down and I basically gave them seven different atonement theories that are the main <laughs> overarching atonement theories. And I was like, so here's the most common one in today's group within Protestant Christianity is this idea. But actually, it's really, really, really new, really new. So let's take a bit, few steps back and start looking at what do the rest of the church believe in what do we believe historically and i'm opening up ransom theory and you know like whatever uh, moral theory and, and and honestly i would have been better saying jesus christ didn't die on a cross fuck you all i hope you die i feel like that would have been a better sermon i got so much flack for giving people options and leaving it at the end going i feel i have my own conviction but i'm not even going to tell you which one i I lean towards I want you to think through these and think about it and think about your relationship with God and Jesus and what seems most like that and fits with that the most that you feel would um work with your relationship and work with your life and people lost it they just want me to say which is the theory on the cross that's right which is the atonement they don't want options people don't want an option um We don't want an option on hell. We'd rather you told me that people will burn in hell than to go, well, actually, we're not entirely sure what the afterlife looks like. No, give me the certainty. And I I don't know what that is. Is that a human nature thing? Is it because we've been in a church system that has black and white system uh, duality for hundreds of years that we expect it now? I'm not sure what it is, but it's fascinating because I want to live in that world. I want to live in the world where like we throw out seven ideas and we sit in a circle and discuss and go, well, I like this one because of that. People go, yeah, but I'm not sure about this. Well, that's a good point. Like that's my idea of a perfect, if there was a church, I don't even particularly feel remotely inclined to go to a church day in, day out. um, Yeah. We can, but I would love to go along to that just for the philosophical arguments and discussions. It'd be interesting. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, and I'm by no means any, way shape or form anywhere close to being well read on rabbinic tradition but to my knowledge that is a lot of how things happen i mean yeah there were different schools of thought different people who followed those schools of thought um but they held room or they held tension for a lot of uh disagreement and um you know that's that's kind of how they functioned around truth like there wasn't just one truth there yes. was it was like the diamond that each way you turn it, there's another way of seeing it, 
another way for the light to refract, you know, through the prism that is that diamond. And I, I find it really interesting that, and I don't know if it's a Western thing because, you know, we come from a, an Eastern, you know, uh, uh, context with Judaism springing up mm-hmm. from the East. And then somehow, you know, when it all got, it come to, came together after the early church was formed and got to Rome, everything changed. Surprise, surprise. But um, the whole thing with that is there was, there was room for disagreement. Mm. There was strength in each counter argument. I remember Rob Bell uh, talking about on a podcast, I don't remember which one, but he was talking about how, you know, the same topic um, and, and he was preparing for his sermon on Leviticus or something that like changed his life. And he said he read a book by a rabbi who each chapter was a different argument for the same passage or something like that. I love it. And it, it's just so interesting because I think as humans, like you were saying, there's this need, this craving for certainty, whether mm. you have OCD or not, I think we all crave it. However, that's the danger of dogmatic fundamentalist religion is that you try to construct this, this system of absolutes and these unquestionable tenets of faith. But when it doesn't necessarily check out for everyone, which it's inevitable, then instead of reexamining as a whole, those people are just automatically gaslit and wrong. Yeah. Which is what many of us experience when we deconstruct, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is that if we approach things with giving people freedom over their spirituality and their faith, giving people this sense of, you know, even within a communal context of, dialogue and discussion and hey i'm not going to tell you absolutely what it is because nobody knows like we're all there's so many different opinions and scholarly takes and on the very same you know issue um just like you did with (laughs) presenting those atonement theories throughout church history but there's there's this ignorance i think that's that's existent within especially within american evangelicalism that I think has to do with a lot of American exceptionalism too, that we have it all figured out. We are the shining example that our, our nation, our, our, our ideals, our, you know, our, our, our church system, the way that we've experienced things, this is the, the only, the only way. Well, not only is it ignorant in the sense of other people's experiences and other cultures and backgrounds and faiths and worldviews, but it's entirely ignorant of church history. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what that uh, bothers me. And what I loved about what you were saying with your, you know, the last time that you preached, like that should be a normal thing where people are being exposed to the context in which yeah. our beliefs have been formed. Like you were saying, penal substitutionary atonement is a relatively newer construct. If you're looking at the entire span of church history. Uh, biblical inerrancy, even newer. Um, mm-hmm. The whole craziness around the rapture, even newer. I mean, like all these things that people have, you know, hedged their bets on are ideas that they've taken for granted and have not realized have arisen from a particular context. Yeah. Um, you know, theology doesn't exist in a vacuum. I remember a, a Bible college professor, though I 
<laughs> have a lot of uh, bad feelings surrounding that experience overall. There were some silver linings, I guess, in, in, in between. And a, a Bible college professor had said, you know, theology always arises out of a particular context. Mm. And so what we believe today in 21st century, you know, uh, existence, you know, or, or our experience within evangelicalism or whoever may still be kind of coming out of that. Like there's a reason that those things that you've yeah. been told are true, that people have, you know, are, are, are spouting that as the absolute truth. You know, people are trained in seminaries where they're only given, you know, depending on where they go, one vein of thought, right? Yeah. yeah. That one vein of thought becomes the vein of thought that they then you know repeat and repeat repeat yeah exactly so yeah no and and you know what it's exciting you know and and uh, maybe we can finish up on a on a positive note is that theology arises for context and theology can still arise from this context this context of broken disgusting horrendous forms of christianity yes. uh can a beautiful form of christianity arise can we uh, have um, more inclusive, more loving, more, um, dare I say, Christ-like forms of theology arise and people live like that because a huge portion of people at Deconstruct still want to follow the path of Jesus. They still um, identify in many ways as Christians, but they don't feel permission to do so. You know, it feels like there's, there's, there's some sort of gatekeeping on like, well, can you be a Christian or not? And the truth is, yeah. You know what? The bunch of crazy people that thought we're gonna uh, go with this woman's vision from the Hebride Islands in Scotland, <laughs> and we're gonna say that there's gonna be a rapture and this and that. They were the nut job crazy people, totally fringe Christians that became the norm. And yeah. you know what? The the crazy guy that was like, "Hey, you know what? It's penal substitution atonement. God wanted to kill everyone, but instead he killed Jesus, and everything's fine." Like he was the crazy guy, right? He got kicked out of the church. He got like lambasted. He got smeared and shamed. And like there was a campaign against him. And he kind of won in a lot of ways, although the Catholic Church is doing pretty great. Um, but, you know, he, 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 this movement of Protestantism is doing good. Um, and it arose from something. And so can we have, um, you know, queer theology arise? Can we have, um, you know, inclusive uh, universalistic theologies? Yeah. And, and some of these theologies have existed always as well, which is interesting. Yes. But can we have them become more prominent? And, and I think the answer is yes, we can. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know uh how that works and i personally am not that invested in doing so it's, it's not what i feel called to maybe maybe you feel a bit more called to it. i i imagine looking at some of your stuff um but yeah i think there's, there's a lot of hope for um for people that want to still follow the way of jesus you know the people that are still passionate about um following that path to do so in new and amazing ways yeah absolutely i think there needs to be a reimagining um and I think that if you look at church history, there's always been cycles of dysfunction and harm and awful injustice. And then periods that come out of it that tend to be a little bit healthier. Uh, and then it kind of falls back and it's this, you know, it, you, you even see it through various popes, you know, in the, the Catholic church who, uh, if you look all the way back, remember there were really, really horrible popes that you know, we're basically just pawns of, of the empire mm -hmm. um, and some that were more genuine and, and you know, uh, benevolent in and, and more, more ways. Um, but all that to be said, 
I, I, you know, I, I don't know what I, <laughs> if I want to even use the language of calling or whatever, but I, I do have a desire to see, like you said, a more inclusive, a universal church that is embracing of all people and perspective. Because I, I believe in a panentheism that, you know, God is within all and all is within God. And, um, you know, if, if we even want to go more to the scriptures, right, you know, humans are made in the image and likeness of God. And, you know, that's just another way of saying that everyone is a child of God, right? And so if I believe that, then I, and, and I believe that everyone has, carries the DNA of the divine, then I believe that, that people's experiences matter and they're, they're valid and they're important. And, you know, as much as we want to think that we've got it all figured out because, you know, of what we come to understand of the person of Jesus and, and uh, the scriptures and all these things, doesn't mean that there's not validity and truth and other worldviews and other faiths that are so beautiful, um, you know, and, and when you think in a very us versus them binary uh, framework, that seems like a threat to your faith. Well, if I believe yeah, that other yeah. perspectives are uh, carry truth, then, then maybe I'm wrong. Oh, oh my gosh. What if there is a bit of more, uh, that's wrong in what you believe than you, you were comfortable with accepting, you know, what if you can benefit from having a listening ear instead of looking to proselytize and, and convert people? What if we converted everyone to love? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what if that was, yeah. and, and, and that's the essence of inclusivity and having a mentality of, of not operating any, any form of dogmatic, um, sort of uh, structure is that you don't need to be right. There's no yeah. threat against you if, if you know, you, you take the posture of curiosity and you're, you're, you're genuinely wanting to learn from other people, you know, and, uh, and it's conversational. It's not, mm. and, you know, apologetic, right? Where <laughs> you got to disprove their argument and, uh, you know, really show them um, that this is the answer, you know, sort of thing. I think there's something beautiful in finding validity in, 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 in the worldviews of those around us. It allows us for, for us to be more compassionate and uh, allows us for, for us to have um, more gentleness to other people and ourselves, right? Because, again, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, we're all just trying to figure this thing out. And as much as we would hope for certainty and what we want to believe in, you know, we can't discount our tradition or maybe our biases. There's always room to, for, for you to, to humbly admit you're wrong. There's, there's always room to be like, you know, actually there's validity and in, to other perspectives and what they want to say. And you don't have to feel threatened about it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so good. So it's great. It's great. We're, we're running out of time. I want to make sure you get back to your, yeah. uh, your day. Um, but if people want to connect with you, follow you, I mean, there's the amazing account, your favorite heretics, right? Uh, yep. Instagram and Facebook, you're on there. Um, is there any other ways that people can connect with you and what you're doing? 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely our, our Instagram at your favorite heretics is where we're most active. Um, you know, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Derek, the heretic, <laughs> um, sticking with the theme. Um, those are probably the two most active places I've, uh, that, that we've been, um, for those who are looking for a very inclusive community of people who are deconstructing on various places of the spectrum. Phil, I know you've got a great, you know, the deconstruction network and all that stuff. We have our Facebook, a uh, private Facebook yes, group, yes. Um, which has been pretty awesome to see the discussion, the support. Um, we've we've had this this desire from the very very beginning of this, or you know, some some time into it when it kind of took a form of its own that we weren't entirely expecting uh, to really foster a space for people to feel safe. Mm. You know, like oh, I can heal. I don't have to have my guard up. I can be genuine about my pain and frustrations and my questions and, you know, laugh about silly things from, from our fundamentalist days and all these things. So there's, there's the humor and people sharing memes and laughing together. And there's also the, the heavy of uh, sharing screenshots from judgmental family members and everything in between of just uh, finding that support, finding that, that community that's really hard to come by. I mean, I know for me, that's one of the things I miss most about being in church is having that that consistent, um, you know, and, and like intentional relationships with people where you're having, you know, meaningful discussion or you feel like, you know, um, you're sharing your life. So I, I really think this, that space has been, um, really useful for that. And I'm yeah. very thankful yeah. for that group. No, it's great. It's my, it's, it's the number one place I, I point people to, uh, you know, there's, there's a few discord channels for people with patrons and different things. I've got one of those and dirt around churches and stuff, but like, as far as a space is just open, free there for people. I, I always point people to your, uh, your Facebook group. And so, um, oh, yeah, thank it's you. an amazing space. It's really great. I'm not on Facebook anymore, but, uh, so I don't even ever see it so but uh I, I, if i could i, I probably wouldn't either yeah. oh god i hate facebook with a passion words can't describe so yeah anyway the metaverse thank you so much i really really enjoyed this it was great to chat um yeah really, thank really you it. thank you phil i was it was a lot of fun I, I and you know really good good time always always having conversation together so we'll have to do it again soon yeah absolutely i'll let you know when it's live i, th- I think we'll be putting this out next week so um i'll, I'll give you a message or whatever then but uh, cool. good to see you, man. Hey, my, my computer is still frozen too. So I've been just like winging <laughs> just it. Talk into like a frozen fill. Yeah. No, really, you've got this very serious look on your face. Like, uh, I do that. I, my default there. look is very intense. Um, yeah. But it's <laughs> just right. funny because I'm like trying to imagine like your facial expressions and I'm like trying to like stay engaged. <laughs> and I'm, like, I hope I'm not making inappropriate facial like, expressions. <laughs> That's so funny. I, it'd be my worst nightmare. I hate talking on the phone because i can't see people's faces i i, I yeah. almost exclusively do video even people that are like oh i'm not comfortable having my video on my my face on the internet running i'm like can we still do a video call i'll just black out your fit like the, the video and we'll use yeah. just audio but i need to see you to have a real conversation so well done yeah. i'm impressed <laughs> you did well <laughs> I <tried. laughs> oh man cool, that's funny all right love you man catch that yeah yeah love you too see you later I, i'm waving as well it means nothing okay but, yeah <laughs> If you are deconstructing, there is no reason to do this alone. It can be an incredibly lonely process, but the deconstructionnetwork.com is a free resource to help you find others deconstructing in your local area. If you would like to support what I do, everything I do is for free from talking to people for hours on end to producing resources and podcasts. 
Um, it is only possible because people give uh, generously. There is never any need to give. Um, it will always be free, everything I do. But if you do, we do have an amazing private community group that we talk on over on Discord um, that you would gain access to. And we do regular audio and video chats on there as well. So it'd be great to see you in there. But of course, never any requirement. And of course, please, please, please come and talk to me on Instagram. I love connecting with people. I love helping people on their journey. If you need a safe space to process your deconstruction, I would love to connect. It's just at Phil Drysdale. Love every one of you. Peace. All right, that was Derek Myers. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, as he mentioned, you can give their account a follow. Um, Instagram, at your favorite heretics. Um, favorite spelt the American way, no you. Um, and on Twitter, it's uh, Derek the Heretic. Um, so please do give Derek a follow, send him a tweet send them a DM over on um, your your favorite heretics and let them know that you love this podcast. I'm sure that would mean a lot to them. Um, I, I don't know if they actively reply to their DMs, but by all means, do shoot them a message because I'm sure they would uh, appreciate that. And also check out their um, Facebook group. It's an amazing community. It's your favorite heretics um, and community discussion in brackets. And so I think if you search your favorite heretics, you should find that. If not, um, check out the Linktree link in their, on their Instagram, your favorite heretics. Um, that'll take you to um, uh, their link tree, which has a link to their Facebook group and a whole bunch of other wonderful things. Um, so yeah, thanks so much to Derek. That was an amazing episode, really interesting. Um, I, I know for me, it's very interesting because I have a lot of overlap with some of the, the stuff that um, uh, he's, he's navigated in his own life that we talked about in the beginning. Um, and so that's been really uh, fascinating for me. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to Derek again about a lot of that stuff. Um, as I said at the top of the show, please, 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 if you can, um, get involved with our research that we're doing. We want to be um, conducting really accurate, helpful uh, research on people that are deconstructing. You can get involved at the deconstructionnetwork.com slash research. Um, you can also check out the Deconstruction Network. It's a great resource for people that are going through deconstruction that want to connect with other people in their local area. Um, it's, a, it's a directory which just puts you on the map, um, anonymizes you. They just have your username and your, your city, get clicked on, and people can message each other. And so you can search, hey, I'm in Austin. I want to find, is there anyone deconstructing? Oh my gosh, there's 50 people deconstructing. I can message them. I can see if they want to meet out for coffee, see if we connect. Um, and so for people that are going through deconstruction, it's going to be really, really uh, lonely process. Um, and uh, something like the Deconstruction Network can help uh, deal with that. You know, these great um, online communities like um, Derek's uh, Your Favorite Heretics Facebook group, like my Discord group. There's so many amazing, great groups out there. The, the Dirty Rotten Church Kids Discord groups, amazing online communities. But really they they scratch the surface of what we need as a as a human being you know we need someone to hold we need someone to laugh with we need someone to cry with in person to to have that connection um maybe we don't need it but i i feel like on many levels i need it I, i'll speak for myself um and so um the deconstruction network is a great resource to help you find people in your local area that understand what you're going through and, and how what you're navigating um so do check that out but yeah please get involved with our research if you can um if you want to support what I do, that would be amazing as well. Um, you know, I am not here to 
beg you for money, to guilt trip you into giving, to require you to give, to get anything. Um, we've all been burnt again and again and again and again. Uh, how many church services have we sat through where offerings have been given and all that different stuff? And you need to give this much. You need to give that much. You need to sow a seed. You need to, you know, it's better to give than to receive and all of these different things. Um, that's not what I'm here to do. You know, I, I really do believe in doing absolutely everything I do for free because of that, because enough of us have been burned enough financially that we've got enough financial trauma uh, from the church that we don't need another person going, if you just buy my book, if you pay this much a month or any of that. Um, that said, I make very, very little. I make about $20,000 a year um, doing what I do. I do this about 60, 70 hours a week. Um, it's It takes a lot. It's, it's very tiring work. It's hard work. I do it because I love it. I do it because I believe in helping people. And I really think there's a need for people to be helped without some sort of financial request. There's a lot of people out there helping and doing great work. And many of them do it for free as well. But a lot of them are, you know, charging for books or, you know, putting on courses online and things like that. And that's great. And I believe that people should be paid for their time. I really believe that. But I think enough of us have been hurt enough that that puts us off and that makes us wary. That puts... Um, uh, some guards up and shackles up. Um, and so I believe in doing it for free as best I can. Um, and so if you want to support me being able to do this for free, it, it does make a huge difference if you are able to give anything. Um, again, there's no need. I'll talk with you all day on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Phil Drysdale. I'll keep putting out resources. I'll keep putting out podcasts. I'll keep the re the deconstruction network as a resource for free. I'm never going to start charging uh, for resources or anything like that. Um, but if you are able and you believe in what I'm doing, uh, giving a gift of some sort would make a big difference. Um, it helps me pay the bills. It might even help me start saving for retirement. At this rate, I'll never retire. Um, at this rate, I don't want to retire either. I love what I'm doing. But um, that would make a huge difference. Um, all joking aside, it means a great deal to me. Those of you that are supporting what I do, uh, it means a huge, huge deal. And I'm really thankful for you. Um, it's uh, patreon.com slash phil drysdale or phil drysdale.com slash partner either one um will go straight to me uh via some processing fees and um helps me do what i'm doing helps helps fund the different sites and resources but it also helps me pay the bills um i'm not some huge mega organization where it all gets swallowed up into all sorts of bizarre costs it literally just pays my food and my my rent and all that different stuff um yeah, as a thank you, you get access to an online community. We do a monthly uh, Zoom call as well. It'd be great to have you on there, but that's about all I can offer you because it is all for free. All right, that's enough rambling from me. You've heard enough. Again, get involved in that research, deconstructionnetwork.com slash research, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. We've been doing these a little less frequently. We're doing them every two weeks right now. Um, hope that's okay with you. We, we started off doing two a week um, in 2020, and it was, what, eight a month, and it's gone down to one a week, and now it's down to two uh, a month um, and so we, 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 who knows but at some point we'll be there about one a year uh, but hopefully I'm trying to find some sort of equilibrium as you heard at the beginning of the show is I've got a lot going on I'm, I'm pretty burned out and tired and so I'm trying to find a good balance um, for myself as well um, and so yeah uh, hope hope you're all well hope you're doing wonderful hope you're navigating deconstruction as well as you can it's hard it's 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 always hard, you know. Trust me, you're you're not um, you're not alone in whatever you're going through. You're not um, some weird anomaly. You are absolutely normal if you're finding this tough. Um, if you are, yeah, if it's a lot, it's it's supposed to be a lot. You're you're literally tearing apart your life and putting it back together. And so, um, hang in there. You're doing great. All right, I'll see you in the next episode. Peace. <laughs>